What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Before we get started in today's message, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are separated from each other, but we are with you. I ask that as we are scattered across the city and across the country, that you would meet us exactly where we are and speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, I was listening to a podcast about this one guy who was an antique clock restorer. Now, one of the most fascinating things that I learned about his process of how he would fix these old clocks was that there, there was no manual on how to fix it. You couldn't go to Google. Uh, oftentimes, the creator would only make one-of-a-kind clocks. So what the creator would do is they would leave these little impressions, these things called witness marks. When someone would come later to repair the clock, they would know step-by-step step how to do it. It wasn't given to them all one at a time, but there were these little indications along the way that would let them know that they were on the right track. This past week, I've probably had a hundred conversations with different people about what should we do in this moment? What should we do? What should you, you be doing individually and what should we be doing collectively as a, a church? And in a lot of ways, there is no manual for what we should be doing. There is no step-by-step -step instructions that we can Google for how we are to move forward in this time, but there are witness marks all throughout scripture that will let us know that as we go along, that we're going in the right direction. So today, I wanna uh, talk a little bit about justice and hopefully steer our congregation and to steer us to be people of justice. And as we're seeing all of these racial injustices come to the surface for some of us, uh, and for many of us, they've been on the surface, uh, what should we be doing? Now, one of the first things uh, I thought about is that, first and foremost, we need to understand what justice is. What is it that we actually want? And how does the Bible speak about justice when it talks about this concept of justice? All throughout scripture, there's a, a word for justi justice called mishpat. Mishpat in the biblical sense of justice is very different than the American sense of justice. When we say justice now, we tend to mean punitive justice, that when someone kills someone, they should be held to um, the highest standards to pay for the crime that they have committed. And there are protests and things happening all over the country uh, about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor for justice in their case. Now, make no mistake about it, that is one part of justice. But justice in the Bible is bigger than that. And if we're gonna be a people who follow after God, we need to consider all that justice encompasses. So justice in the Bible is not just punitive, it's also restorative. Here's how one author talks about it. In the Bible, it means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, all under the ark of God's love. To seek justice, in other words, is the way that things ought to be. So it's not just punitive, it's also restorative. So Mishpat is giving people what they are due, whether it's punishment or protection and care. So in this moment, when we're talking about justice, we're not just talking about punishment for corrupt cops. We're also talking about restoring things to be the way that they ought to be. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, Jesus calls us to be people of justice. Now, one of the things that's really fascinating about just American society in general is that we just really don't have a concept of this kind of justice. Uh, I was working out with a trainer a couple of months ago when gyms were open pre-Rona, and he was a German guy and grew up in Germany. 
and he commented on one of my photos on Instagram about the nature of how Germany dealt with the Holocaust after it was over. Germany issued an apology and they paid billions and billions of dollars to, Jewish, to Israel and also to Jewish communities and organizations to repair the damage that was done. Now, obviously you cannot bring back lives, but there's a concept of justice that says we don't have to just punish war criminals and Nazis who committed crimes, but we also have to be committed to the repair of the communities that were destroyed. In the over 400 years since the first ships have brought over uh, African slaves, uh, to this date, there has still never been any apology or any formal repayment or restoration of the people who have been so damaged by the centuries of, of slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, and all of the mistreatment. One of the things that I pray for when I say I want justice is not just the punishment of people who have done wrong, but also the repair and the restoration of communities that have been pillaged. Now, this is something that is really, really important to God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to take these, these words to heart. God really, really cares about justice. He really cares about it, not just the punitive justice, but also the restorative justice. And Isaiah 48, Isaiah 58, excuse me, is a passage of scripture that should give us pause as we consider it. God is talking to his people through the prophet Isaiah, and he's talking to them about justice and what he wants to see and how much is at stake if they don't pay attention to it. So in Isaiah 58, it says, cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. So this is what he's telling Isaiah. Isaiah, it's time to get live. Don't hold back. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. Like they're a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. So here's what's happening in the scripture. God's people are praying to him day after day. They're coming to him and they're trying to get close to God. And God's first indictment of his own people is that he says, listen, there are, you people are seeking me, but you're acting as if you are a people that hasn't first um, disregarded justice. So the scripture continues, and he explains to them what this kind of justice that he wants to see in order for them to be able to have right relationship. So in verse three, he says, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves. These are people uh, praying to God and they're saying, we have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this fast a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast that I choose? This is God speaking. To break the chains of the wickedness to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it, not your, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the poor and homeless into your house to clothe the naked when you see him and to not ignore your own flesh and blood? Now, I want y'all to really see what God is saying here in the scripture, and it's really a play on ideas. God is telling his people, Isaiah, remember, they're acting like they're doing justice, but they are not doing it. And I'm gonna tell you why I'm not answering their prayers. They're saying that every single day, God, I'm, I'm fasting because I wanna get close to you. So Monday, I'm, I'm not eating because I wanna get close to you. Tuesday, I'm not eating bread because I wanna get close to you. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and finally they come to God and say, God, we haven't eaten bread all these days because we wanna get close to you. And here's what God says to them. 
What did you do with the bread that you weren't eating? Day after day, you were walking past people who were hungry and you didn't give them bread. And yet you're saying you want to be in relationship with me. First, rectify that and then come to me in prayers and then I will hear you is what God is saying. Matthew 25, Jesus borrows a lot of this language where Jesus talks about how vital it is that God's people would be people of justice, not just punitive justice to demand payment for crimes, but also restorative justice to seek to make this world the way that it ought to be. Now, most of the people watching this uh, have no disagreements that right now it's very clear that this world is not uh, what it's supposed to be, specifically around racial injustices that we're seeing now in the penal system, in education, in healthcare, and across every single aspect of American society. So firstly, we need to understand what justice is. And this part of justice will require that every person watching this have a part to play in it, not just in seeking the punishment of people, but that also that God is gonna call us to put skin in the game, our money, our time, our energy in the pursuit of the way things ought to be. So the first thing we need to know what justice is and really be really clear about that. And the second thing is something that is so vital that you absolutely cannot miss this. You and I have to go inward before we can engage anywhere else. I'll say that again. We have to do the work to go inward and understand how racism and injustice, and specifically racism for today, how it has formed itself inside of us. Now, oftentimes, the last place we want to go is the first place we need to go. And for us today, the first place we absolutely need to go is inside. I am not at all interested in people making loud statements denouncing racism out there until you have first confronted racism in here. There's so many different things that we could be talking about and certainly for uh, a lot of people, uh, there's a, there is this impulse and this rush to just do something, to just say something. And the first thing I want us to do is to slow down and to take a hard look at the racism inside of us. Ibram Kendi, the author of um, How to Be Anti-Racist, talks about in order to see racial justice, we must all be people who deliberately confess the racist ideas that have been nurtured within us while trying to be better, trying to be different, and trying to support policies that create equity. We have to first identify and examine the ways in which racism has been nurtured inside of us. Now, a lot of people, you're hearing this and you're like, yes, and you're probably thinking about, yes, white people and non-black people need to be doing these things, and that's true for sure. But I also wanna make sure none of our black listeners or watchers let themselves off the hook. There is a great deal of internalized racism in the African-American and black community all over the world. Colorism is a great example of that. It would, do us no, it would do us no good to always point the finger outside until we have first taken a hard, examined look at ourselves to see how this dust of racism that we've been breathing our entire lives has impacted us. And before we go externally, we need to first take a, a good hard look internally at the ways in which racism has been nurtured in us. Now, in the description below, I have created a uh, a document for us that's going to guide us this week and how you and I can take a good hard look at ourselves to first do some internal work of excavating and examining and identifying and repenting of the racism that has been nurtured and formed in us. Some of us have more than others to dig up for sure, but all of us need to do this work and this task. David says this in Psalm 139. It's a prayer that I prayed in a lot of different scenarios and it's very appropriate here. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So number one, we need to really be clear about what uh, justice is. And number two, we need to go inward before we engage anywhere else. And number three, this is a really important one. You and I have to determine where we will engage. Now, it's not for everybody to do the same thing at the same time. Uh, there are moments like that, but this is a long, long haul ahead of us. And you and I need to take small, incremental, repeated actions in order to be people of justice, to see a real sustainable change. Uh, one of the most helpful ways of approaching this is thinking about uh, Renaissance Church and the church and us collectively, not as everyone doing the same thing, but as many members of one body. Paul says like this in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members on the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, one of the mistakes and one of the biggest mistakes that I have made is thinking that in the pursuit of justice, everybody needs to do what I am doing. Everybody needs to do what Jordan is passionate about. Now, I wanna save you a whole lot of self-righteous indignation, save you from doing, making some of the mistakes that I made. Uh, not everybody needs to do the same thing that we're doing. If everybody were an I, then where would the sense of hearing be? And this illustration of us being a body is really helpful to determine that in order to move forward, we need cohesive action of different people doing different things over a long period of time to see this change that we want. For me personally, one of the biggest areas that I have uh, been very burdened by is um, a lack of equity in education. I was talking to a friend of mine about the PTA at some of the schools that he visited, and one of the PTAs had a budget of over a million dollars. He took his kids to another school to see and to talk to the PTA, and that PTA had a budget of $40. On one, you could buy a Ferrari with that budget. The other one, you couldn't even order pizzas for the whole meeting. Now, there is not equity in education. Even in New York City, one of the most supposed diverse and celebrated cities in the world, there's a whole lot of inequity and injustice in the way that we approach everything. But my burden for education doesn't have to be your burden. All of us have different things to do. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about this. How should you determine where you should be engaging right now? After you've done this internal work, how, how do you focus your attention outward? And I think there's three different things that will let us know what we should be uh, doing. The first are to determine your gifts. What are you just naturally good at that you can lend those gifts toward the pursuit of justice? Again, not just punitive justice, but restorative justice. I have friends who are really good with numbers and uh, they, they've taught financial courses for people who are not as adept in managing their taxes and finances as other people as a way to give back to the community to see them get exactly what they're supposed to get. So number one is gifts. What are the things that you're good at that you can lend those gifts in the, in the pursuit and towards a, a more equitable distribution of all things? Number two are the burdens. Now, we talked about this last week with Moses in that before God came to Moses and spoke to him with what he should do, he first let Moses be burdened by seeing the injustice that his people, the Jewish people, were facing while they were enslaved in Egypt. 
There are some things right now that are just bothering you. And instead of telling someone else they need to do something, maybe this is God telling you, you need to do something about this. Don't make your burden what everybody needs to do. This might just be what God is calling for you to do and to step up. And if you see it missing, start it. So first our gifts, Two, second is our burdens, and third are uh, our interactions. Now these are not as, um, it's not as exciting as our gifts and our burdens. These are just the normal day-to-day -day interactions that we have that God has allowed us to have. Now this one is specifically for a lot of people who go to Renaissance and you just have some high school friends and some family members that are, they're gone, right? They're really far from truth, but they're close to you. Now, I don't want you to hide them and unfriend them and celebrate to the world how many people you are deleting. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to be super woke and, and really disparage people from coming to you. I actually want you to treat those interactions as an invitation for God's calling. They're far from truth, but they're close to you. What would it look like if instead of offending them on purpose, you reached out to them in a way that they could understand and you slowly invited them on a journey of anti-racist work. That work might not be nearly as celebrated, but it is super vital. They won't listen to me, but they might just listen to you. So your gifts, your burdens, and your interactions might be a really good guide in how you and I should determine how we are going to engage right now. And a better question than what should you be doing is what should you be doing right now. And for us to continually be examining our gifts, our burdens, and our interactions to think about what God would have for us to do today. Now, once we determine where we should engage, here's a really big thing that our generation struggles with. We have to get close to the areas that we say we care about. We have to get close to the problems that we care about. Social media serves a lot of good. I, I really am thankful for it. It creates platforms that I think are actually leading towards real change. But there is a danger to become a keyboard killer or an armchair activist, and all you do is sit on social media and point out the problems in the world, and you yourself are not getting close to those problems. What is gonna be required for us to be a people of justice is not just, again, I don't see anything wrong, wrong with social media, it's not just engaging that way, but it's also getting actually close to those areas. So if you care about prison reform, that you're actually involving yourself physically in the life of prison reform. That it's not just complaining about what should be done, but, but that you're actually getting close to it. Uh, and here's why that's so important. When we get closer to situations, we actually start to see the problems for what they are, not what we think they are. One of, uh, there's a Peruvian the uh, theologian by the name of Gustavo Gutierrez, and he says it like this, and, and, and it's a better uh, illustration of why we need to get close to it. He says, you say you care about the poor, then tell me, what are their names? If you care about a situation, or if you care about something, then you should know more about it than just what's circulating around social media. You should care about it in more ways than just being a platform, but you should involve yourself and get closer to it. And here's why we do that, because love requires proximity. And this is what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God didn't just love us from a distance, but he came close and got proximate and got close to us. In John 1, as it talks about Jesus and him getting close to us, it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. 
The word became flesh and dwelt or, or lived among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came to us, he came and he got close. So number one, we always have to make sure we have a really good definition of what justice is. Number two, we have to go inward before we go out. Number three, we have to determine where we will be engaging specifically on any given day. Number four, we have to get close to what we say we care about, um, not just stay on social media. And number five, we really just have to follow Jesus day to day. Now, I've vacillated whether or not I would even put this one in here uh, and it was making me mad when I was writing it because it was preaching directly to me. So uh, if it makes you mad too, then know that it, it offended both of us. But we actually have to follow Jesus in this process. And what do I mean by that? A lot of times in my life, when I'm really angry or I'm in a lot of pain, I just have this temptation to want to do things my way. I think in the back of my head, I'm saying, well, following Jesus didn't work that time, so I'm gonna take it into my own hands right now, and I don't have enough time to say how wrong that is. So in times like this, we need to really make sure that we are following in whatever direction that Jesus wants to, to lead us and to guide us in. One of the scriptures that I've been thinking about uh, is Matthew 10 and 16. And here's what Jesus is saying to his followers. And um, this is one of many passages that could be guiding us for this moment. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, Jesus lists four animals here, sheep, wolves, serpents, and doves. Now, this is a text that has spoken so much to me for a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus reminds us that we are sheep, and the most important thing about a sheep is that we have a shepherd, and that in these moments, we are not alone to figure things out on our own. Guidance is not something that Jesus gives. It's something that Jesus does. Jesus does not give us guidance. Jesus does guidance. He actually guides us as our shepherd. But the scripture is also a warning, and Jesus tells his disciples who are going to face opposition these words, and if we're going to be people of justice, we should not fool ourselves that we will never face opposition. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, in this moment, there are two kinds of wolves. There are some wolves who are wolves in sheep's clothing, and there are other wolves who are straight up wolves, and you can spot them from a mile away. Now, in this moment, I absolutely believe that there has been some real true awakening for people to the, the need for real racial justice in America. But I also believe that there are a lot of opportunists, that they are not marching, they are not posting because they care about black lives, they care about black moments. Now, if you were to zoom out a little bit and take a larger picture at their life, you probably wouldn't see the same level of care and concern. Now, I don't say this so you can start clapping back on people online and calling people out, but just so you can do what Jesus tells us to do in the scripture, he says to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. So whether these are, are wolves in sheep's clothing or whether these are actual wolves who are antagonistic and combative towards you, you and I need to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. In first glance in reading the scripture, it's almost a little confusing that Jesus would call his followers to be like snakes because all throughout the Bible, snakes were considered bad. But here's why Jesus says that. Snakes are calculated, they're slow, and they are aware. 
When a snake is going to attack, they don't just jump out in the middle. They're calculated. They lay in the grass. They take a step back. They're aware of their surroundings and they're slow in the way that they proceed. In this moment, whether it's the wolves in sheep's clothing or it's the wolves that are facing us, you and I need to be calculated and slow and aware. This means that you shouldn't just rush to give someone credit because you and I don't know whether or not they have genuine interest in the cause or whether or not they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now this goes for big brands, but regrettably I've also seen this in churches and pastors where not everybody has the best intentions for this moment. For some people, it truly is about their brand. So be very calculated and slow and aware of all that is happening. The scripture continues and says to be as innocent as doves. And innocent means at least two things here. Number one, it means unmixed. And in scripture, the word literally mean unmixed, meaning pure intentions. So in the case of justice, this means, it means that your intentions are for the cause and not for some petty payback. And I'm preaching to myself here and I gotta check my own Twitter feed and my Instagram feed because in a lot of times I, I lose sight of the cause and I just kinda want petty payback. And again, I get it if that's you as well. Um, and this also means that we don't have to be angry all the time. We don't have to thug people out all the time. You don't have to engage in every single conversation. As a matter of fact, you and I are called to be calculated, slow, and aware. Um, and also, in being innocent, as Jesus says, it does mean for Christians to be Christians. One of the things that is a fruit of the Spirit, uh, something that God grows inside of us, is gentleness. And gentleness is so misunderstood that it does not mean tiptoeing around things and not causing pain, for example, when pain is necessary. It means removing all unnecessary aspects of something to reach your desired goal. So if I was years ago changing a diaper with one of my sons and he had pretty bad diaper rash, and as a father who loved him, I had to completely clean him even though it was really uncomfortable for him, and it would not have been loving for me to not clean him uh, even though he was dirty. But what I did do because I love him is I removed all unnecessary aspects of it so it would not cause him unnecessary pain. And I want us to be filtering our actions through these things. Are we as shrewd as serpents and are, are we as innocent as doves? Are we calculated and aware of what's going on around us? Are we not rushing into things? And are we also removing unnecessary things from our conversations so that we are focused on the cause of justice and not just on being petty and getting some payback in the moment? So this week, may we be people who become more aware and doers of justice. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would awaken in us a, a, a deep desire for your justice, not the justice that we want, but the justice that, that you want. That is not just punitive, but it's also restorative to see things the way that they ought to be. And God, would you give us endurance as we go along this process? And God, may we do it all for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.